Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicki. And I'm Janelle. And we're back again with a... Uh, <laughs> it's going to be an episode, folks. Yep. We're going to have to strap in and it's honestly... Wouldn't you say buckle up? <laughs> buckle up. 10-4, mm. good It's buddy. a long haul. Oh, God. So good. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's going to be a fun fun episode. Um, If this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. We are going to head over to the newsroom. So we're going to kick off this episode just like we're going to end it terribly. Oh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> so this is directly from Fox 10 News in San Jose, California. Okay. okay. So the headline. Mm-hmm. Disturbing details emerge after San Jose police officer arrested for masturbating at family's home. Any family's home. Okay. So here's, here is Context. the deal. Mm. Um, Matthew Dominguez, he was arrested for misdemeanor indecent exposure. So he and two other officers were dispatched mm-hmm. to a home. Mm-hmm. To investigate, so this family had a restraining order out on their son, um, who, according to the article, suffered from mental illness, and they were called to investigate a possible violation of that order. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds basic. Mm-hmm. So Dominguez started by speaking to the family's 23-year-old daughter. They are saying that he pretty much, like, took an interest in her, was pretty much interacting with her exclusively. Everywhere she went, he kind of, like... Was keeping an eye on her. Yeah. Yeah. So then he sent the other officers to see if they could find the brother. And he stayed back to like, he was like looking around the house, has a body camera on, by the way. 
Uh, oh, this just makes it so much worse. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they were talking about this GPS monitor. The mom came in and said she, like, while they were talking about this GPS monitor, watched Dominguez unzip his pants and placed his hand inside his zipper and began rubbing his crotch. The daughter saw him and... I'm sorry. Yeah. What? (laughs) Yes. The daughter saw him and like went to... Okay. I just said this is directly from the article. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The mother then asked her daughter to get a glass of water, which the daughter mistakenly offered to Dominguez. The mother again asked her daughter for another glass of water. And at that point, Dominguez followed her daughter into the kitchen and turned around to face the mother. She told authorities that she saw Dominguez's penis outside his pants fully exposed... Not just full turtle head, the no, whole damn thing. The whole thing. <laughs> um, they left the house, called for the husband, uh, and her. the daughter called for her uncle. The father ran into the house and saw Dominguez, quote, with his erect penis in his left hand and his right hand on the counter. And then the father leaves the house. Two minutes later, Dominguez, like, walks out and just, like, gets back to work. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh uh, male identifying people of this podcast. Um, <laughs> you just get the urge so bad that you have to fucking jerk it in public. That's Dude, not real. It's it's wild. That's like a power trip sort of like scenario. Yeah. No yeah. one's ever like, oh my God, this boner needs to be taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> so he, like I said, he has been arrested. Um, he has not gone to trial yet. So... But this is the report of what happened. I thought this was going to be like he was in his car jerking it in the driveway. No, just like nope. straight up in in the kitchen. In the kitchen. Also, worst place of somebody, somebody else's house <laughs> that they were called to investigate. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Good and job. and why are we not canceling the police <laughs> for this alone? Yeah. <laughs> for all the sexual problems. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I told you we're going to start off like. Just going to be a doozy. (laughs) All right. We're going to move on to Netflix and kill. This week, we are doing a roundup of all of the worst clothing companies. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Okay. First up, um, White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie & Fitch. Uh Uh-huh. Watch that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Second. Okay. Let me tell you. I'll tell you both of them. The second is The Curse of Von Dutch. Yes, I watched okay. that a while ago. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Early 2000s that, yes. coming in hot. I decided <laughs> I love that we're at the point in history where I feel like the stuff that was going on when we were young mm-hmm. is like making its way back around. And I'm right? like, I know what's happening now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get it. I know current events. Yes. Which were not current. <laughs> no, no. So Abercrombie Fitch. <laughs> Never was, set foot in that store ever. <laughs> I think I did one time. I was like, and, not for me. And very quickly realized like, this is not my, this is not for me. That's not my aesthetic it's whatsoever. Not, it's not my aesthetic, <laughs> but also not made for me. Like, no. I was not, I was a tall, awkward kid. You're very like, tall, this was, not, this was not the type of clothing that was made for me. The company had these allegations surface of racial discrimination and various forms of just like ugh, perpetuating horrible body image and Mm -hmm. really not being a company that wanted much diversity yep intentionally Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they essentially ruined the company they're like still around kind of but it's not it's Mm -hmm. not a thing anymore thoughts on the amber carmy fitch documentary i thought it was pretty i was 
pretty funny. Yes. It was pretty funny. Yes. I was like, oh my God. Mm. I just remember being in, in school and like everyone wearing that. I'm like, what? First of all, that cologne makes me want to Ralph. Secondly, it's boring, disgusting clothing. It's like the most basic bitch stuff you'll ever see. I was like, yeah. I'm sorry. It's basic before basic was basic. It's like the most basicest. Yes. But also a yes. little bit of the precursor of like the shit that went down with American Apparel was like the same. Yes. Except more current. Yeah. But the same shit. Yeah. It's like maybe yeah. we shouldn't, maybe we should like buy used clothes and mm. trade and do vintage and not. Put all our money into these bullshit companies. Yeah. <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. I'll also say, too, there were allegations of the photographer being inappropriate with of the course. male models uh-huh. also. Um, although nothing was ever proven, I think, against the CEO, they had said. Um, yeah. Well. <laughs> so wanted to include that. Anyway. Very, I thought it was really good, really well done. If you're yeah. a '90s kid, like this is gonna yeah, hit I all the nostalgia. At the TV, I was like, "Oh my points. god, I remember that!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it will definitely tickle your nostalgia bone. So, yes. mm-hmm. um, the second one, Curse Von Dutch. Mm-hmm. Wow, everybody involved in that is a fucking scumbag. Yeah, <laughs> like on all, all so sides. SoCal surfer guys, yeah. you know. So <laughs> Von Dutch is another one of these clothing lines that was like super big in the late 90s early 2000s it originated from a an artist who was Mm -hmm. von dutch who was like really involved in the sort of like biker scene Mm -hmm. um flying eyeball was yeah his his aesthetic i was gonna say you can probably speak to that better than (laughs) yeah he was a fucking drunk and wrote a lot about fascism. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of it. So, so at that big reveal, I'm just going to ruin it up front. At the end of it, they're like, oh, yeah. And also then we found out Von Dutch was a Nazi. Like, I mean, <laughs> he wasn't a Nazi. Okay. So the thing that happened in the 60s with motorcycle yeah. aesthetics. Let me just explain history to you guys. Oh to kind of cause chaos, they would, re- they would repackage like Nazi symbolism into things to yeah. make it shocking so people would be repulsed like that was the entire point it's not that they believed in fascism it's that they used the aesthetics of it to shock people it was all about shock culture and so in writing that comes out a lot in some of the like 60s beatnik poetry a lot of i mean if you look at some of hunter s thompson's stuff oh my god i know They did it for shock value. It's not that any of those people actually want to be Nazis or fascists. But they did have that statement from him that was like, I'm actually a Nazi. His writing, (laughs) at the end of his life, at the end of his life, he went off the fucking deep end. When I say he was an alcoholic, he was like a hard alcoholic. Like, he couldn't paint. He he was a pinstriper. Mm -hmm. He couldn't paint without being trashed. He had to be fucking trashed. And it's... It's funny that they chose him I don't know, as, as, like, the aesthetic yeah. choice and, like, repackage yeah. his name. So, you know, why they, not Ed Roth? They so much better. <laughs> they repackage Von Dutch into this clothing line that becomes really big. There's all these really sketchy people involved. A lot of violence. This Dutch guy comes in, comes in with a French designer, then celebrities, and then murder? And then all the murder. And then the all the violence. The celebrity part just confuses Hilton. me. I'm a boss, babe. I was like... Because also Ugh. happening at the exact same time was Ed Hardy, yeah. who was another yes. person related to yes. the biker scene. It was also became, trash. It was trash that became like this. Ugh. That's what the early 2000s were. Because I actually just I just wrote an op-ed piece about my art and the 
early 2000s trash bimbo aesthetic. Yeah, trash bimbo. <laughs> which yes, is exactly is what's happening. Perfect. Just think yeah. of Christina Aguilera in the 2000s. There mm-hmm. was a trash bimbo aesthetic. Like, yes, that yes. was the thing that was happening. Anna Nicole Smith. Yes. Like, that right? whole... Right, like, grimy, mm-hmm. slutty, but, mm-hmm. like, I own it. Which is fine, but, yes. like, that was the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So true. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, they call it the Curse of Von Dutch because of all of the surrounding controversy. Oh, yeah. It's really, really good. It's I mean, fucking wild. Von Dutch was cursed um, himself. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a really wild story. It's only three episodes... Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's worth it. Same thing with, I think, White Hot. It was only a couple episodes. Yeah, like, they weren't which very was long. nice. It was very digestible. Yeah. So definitely check those two out. Um, Von Dutch is on Hulu. The White Hot, Amicrami, and Fitch doc is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. If you got some time. I really enjoyed it. It really was all like a, the nostalgia fix that yeah. I needed, yeah. honestly. It really was. Yeah. Okay. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners this is probably gonna be fucked up isn't it vicky (laughs) yeah so we are gonna be talking about instances of murder and rape and violence Mm -hmm. against Um, a lot of women in mine against a lot of women in yours too yeah that's what i figured (laughs) this one kind of leans that way a little bit yeah uh so a couple weeks ago i well a couple episodes ago (laughs) i mentioned um that we were gonna start like kind of going back through some of our old themes and re-looking at some new cases now that we are, I would say, better at podcasting than we were when we we did it the first time. Mm -hmm. So um, this week we're talking about truck driver killers, long haul killers. Yeah, we're going to have to put all the 70s truck driving music in here, just like a... (laughs) Space trucker, we're gonna have to go. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Convoy. Uh, so, as we've talked about, the instances of long haul truckers murdering, uh, especially women, mm-hmm. mostly women, <laughs> mostly women are super high because of the use of the interstate system within the mm-hmm. United States. There You've are. seen the sides of the highways. You mm-hmm. see all the trash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are maps now that the FBI has put together. Of yes, like, there's like a big, huge thing that they're doing for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've we've talked about this. I'm sure we can add the links to all of that mm-hmm. in the show notes. Um, so this week, we're talking about two more. Not yeehaw. I was going to say yeehaw, but yeehaw. Like, this is anti-yeehaw. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I am going to start with Oscar Ray Bolin. Okay. So he was born in Portland, Indiana, which I know is like your favorite state. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana. Uh, he was born in Portland, Indiana in 1962 to Oscar Ray Sr. and Mary Bolin, um, who later moved the entire family to Morgan County, Kentucky. Even better than Indiana. Oh, girl. <laughs> Just wait. We're going to head on down to Florida. Hint, oh, hint. my God. Yeah. Yep. It's like the super highway of trash. <laughs> Indiana, yeah. Kentucky, Florida. Boom. <laughs> um, according to his father, Bolin grew up a relatively normal kid without any, like, glaring issues, really. Um, so this is a quote from an interview he did with the Tampa Bay Times. Quote, he played with other children, attended school, and helped his father and grandfather with farm chores. But, interestingly enough... That was an article that came out, like, at the time Mm -hmm. in the 80s when this was happening. In articles printed in 2015, the Tampa Bay Times was reporting that in his childhood, quote, his father beat him once his mother walked him to a school bus stop on a leash because he ran away so much. That sounds like Indiana, yeah. So... (laughs) I mean, the thing I know about farm kids is, yeah, there was a lot of belt usage, so... 
if someone was to be like, oh, it was a normal childhood. Back then, yeah, that was probably normal. Right. But it's not. <laughs> yes. The point is, all may not be as it appears, mm-hmm. as always. By the time he was 15, Bolin had decided to leave home and strike out on his own at, at 15. Because, again, I almost 60s, had to do that, so yeah. I got it, you know? <laughs> um, he actually followed in similar footsteps to his father and grandfather, who had both done the same. And honestly, the timing was pretty good because Oscar Ray Sr. and Mary had decided to get a divorce, and Mary was moving from Kentucky back to Portland, Indiana. But Bolin instead decided to go to Muncie in hopes of finding work. Woof, Muncie. (laughs) (laughs) Bolin, like, he started working some odd jobs in Muncie, but it wasn't long before he started racking up a criminal record, starting with an arrest for theft in 1977. Um, He eventually moved down to Florida in the early 80s to work as a carnival worker, which is apparently something a lot of people in his family did. Yeah, that's like the greatest position for a grifter drifter guy. Right? (laughs) It was also around this time that Bolin met Cheryl Hafner in Portland, and the two began dating during one of his many trips to Indiana. He was also doing some long-haul trucking work between Indiana and Florida, Mm -hmm. um, and this is like primarily where he spent his time. So there had to have been some dispute between Bolin and Hafner because in 1982, Hafner told police that Bolin had kidnapped her and taken her to like the Tampa Bay area and just like drove around for a long time and refused to let her take her insulin for diabetes. Oh, hey. And so Bolin was arrested for false imprisonment, but the charges were later dropped. The two Mm -hmm. like made up, I guess. Um, Whatever the issue was. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. Whatever the issue was seemed to disappear because the two were married in 1983. A few years later, Hafner became pregnant with their first child. However, the pregnancy was difficult due to Hafner's diabetes. And oh, yeah. oh honey. Yeah. And their baby died shortly after birth due to complications. Now, around the time that Hafner was pregnant in 1986, three Tampa women went missing, all later to be found dead. That happens a lot with these cases. What? Like when a wife gets pregnant or there's children, it intensifies murders. (laughs) Yeah. And in this case, like (laughs) they lost their child too. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I think there's an expectation of having this and then it kind of triggers something. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say whether or not they're connected. The timing is very interesting. Sus, as the kids say. Yes. (laughs) So the first woman to go missing was 25-year-old Natalie Blanche Holly, who worked as a night manager for Church's Fried Chicken. She was locking up the store around 1.30 a.m. on January 25th. Uh, She was abducted from the parking lot and was found the following day by a jogger who stumbled upon her body in the woods. Uh, Holly had been stabbed 10 times, resulting in her death. Then in November, um, on November 5th, 1986, 17-year-old Stephanie Collins was finishing her shift at a drugstore where she worked part-time. She was last seen walking to her car. Uh, Just a month later, Collins' body was found dumped off the side of the road, wrapped in sheets and towels. She had also been stabbed repeatedly, as well as having her skull crushed. Authorities were able to identify her body thanks to her Chamberlain-class ring. On the same day, Collins had been found, 26-year-old Terry Lynn Matthews was reported missing after failing to show up at her parents' house in Landa Lakes um, after finishing her night shift. Upon further investigation, Matthews' car was discovered in the Landa Lakes post office parking lot. 
the engine was still running and the door was open and there was like mail that she had been holding scattered around where the open door was at. Hmm. Just hours later, Matthew's body was found dumped in the woods. She had also been wrapped in a sheet with her throat slit and her head bludgeoned. This time she had been raped. Um, Authorities were investigating all three murders as connected, but they weren't having any luck with leads and like were just kind of at a loss. Weren't able to connect it to like any forensic evidence, all that fun stuff. Now, back to Bolin. Along with being a carnival worker, like I said, Bolin was also a long-haul trucker, often making trips between Florida and Indiana. But trucking also had other perks, if you like to call it that, I guess. Sure. Um, Like being able to abduct women and take them with you. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Jesus. Tru- truck stops are real fucking sketchy, man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I will regale you with the tale later. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so in November 1987, a 20-year-old Ohio woman um, who was not named due to the nature of the crimes was staying late at a truck stop where she worked as a cashier. As she was leaving, the woman saw Bolin standing in front of her car, motioning as if he was, like, rolling a joint. Like, you want to come smoke this, Jay? Mm-hmm. Um, as she waved him off and she tried to get into her car, Bolin pulled a gun saying he was running from the police and needed her car. Although the woman pleaded with Bolin, she was forced into the car and taken to a secondary location where two other men were waiting at a semi-truck. As the group set off in the semi, Bolin raped the woman at gunpoint and the trio took turns, essentially, as they like driving and um, assaulting her. After they felt that they had finished, Bolin attempted to shoot the woman in the head, but the gun jammed. And so he, like, tried to fix the jam and shot a live round out of the window. And move. (laughs) Shoots a live round out of the window, goes to try to shoot her again, and the gun jams again. And so instead... Someone is watching that woman's life. (laughs) Yes. They... They pull off on the side of a Pennsylvania highway and just let her go, which, of course, is kind of a big mistake for them because now there's somebody who can identify them. (laughs) Um, However, it seemed like it was one of the men involved that actually turned everybody over to the police. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, So Bolin was caught and found guilty of rape and was sentenced to 22 to 75 years in prison and he was sent to Ohio Ohio to serve out his sentence okay three years later after all of that happens authorities receive an anonymous tip to indiana crime stoppers that claim that bolin had something to do with the three murders in tampa Hmm. who was this anonymous tipster you may ask Okay, so let me tell you. Let me tell you. Close. (laughs) Okay. So after Bolin had been in prison for the rape of the Ohio woman, his wife at the time, Cheryl Hefner, got a divorce and remarried. Hefner, who is now Kobe, then told her new husband that Bolin had, in fact, told her about the murders of Holly Collins and Matthews. There were a few places that I saw mentioned that Kobe may have also told her new husband that she helped dispose of evidence in a few instances. 
Oh, honey. But it doesn't appear that she was ever, like, convicted of anything in relation to the crimes. Mm -hmm. So, Kobe's new husband decided to call the tip line and turn in Bolin. Yes. Also, sticking it to him. Yes. (laughs) To their surprise, authorities found Bolin serving time in an Ohio prison already. And so, it made it really easy to find out where he was. Yep. (laughs) The other, so upon further investigation, Bolin's route was shown um, to run through the areas of one of the murders, and this, along with additional witnesses um, and forensic as evidence, but uh, the witness, one of the witnesses who testified at the trial, included his younger half brother, who witness who testified to witnessing uh, Bolin beat Matthews and attempt to drown her with a garden hose, which. Um, another allegation surfaced against Bolin for the murder of Deborah Diane Stowe in Greenville, Texas, according to a story that Bolin's cousin told authorities. Hmm. Although he's got a big mouth, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, yeah. Although he's been officially linked to the crime, Texas decided not to prosecute due to the ongoing trials in Florida. Um, authorities believed that Bolin perpetrated many more crimes than he'd been charged with, and they looked into a possible connection with cases in 26 other states, but none of these links really seemed to pan out. Things get a bit strange while Bolin is awaiting trial for the three murders. Like, it just, I was reading this once, like, I didn't realize this was going to be so weird. <laughs> um, so again, from the Tampa Bay Times, quote, while awaiting his first murder trial in the Hillsborough County Jail, Bolin concocted an elaborate escape plan. It involved kidnapping the relatives of then-Sheriff Walter Heinrich and several high-ranking sheriff's office officials um, and told them and hold them hostage. Um, the plot was uncovered after Bolin and his girlfriend, who was also his first cousin, were heard discussing it during a visit. Investigators recorded the whole thing. On the tapes, Bolin told wild tales about being connected to a lucrative drug ring. So his first cousin. They just like drop that in the article, oh, just like my also. God. Yeah. Um so just casual. Casual just kissing cousins. <laughs> his girlfriend at the time. Um, so because they had recorded all of this, Bolin actually received a 15-year sentence. I'm surprised uh, by that. Yeah. His, his next thing um, was that he attempted suicide by swallowing 10 sleeping pills and leaving a note pointing authorities to his ex-wife, Kobe, for more information, what? which they <laughs> got him to the hospital and obviously like got his stomach pumped and whatever. Mm-hmm. Because he did eventually make it to trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he did, Bolin received a death sentence for Holly's murder, another for Collins' murder, and a third for Matthew's murder, ending the initial cases in 1991. Then in 1995, after appealing, all three convictions were overturned by the Florida Supreme Court. They said, quote, jurors shouldn't have heard Kobe's testimony because Bolin never waived his spousal privilege. So if you're not married anymore, but they were at the time the murders happened. So if you're unfamiliar with spousal privilege, the idea is that your spouse or your partner um, cannot be forced to testify against you in a court of law, essentially. Mm -hmm. But she did willingly then. She did, but he's the one who has to waive it as the as the person who's the defendant. (laughs) Yeah, legal things that don't make any sense. Yeah. 
So they were all overturned, <laughs> get sent back for retrial. While awaiting retrial, Bolin got remarried to a woman named Rosalie Martinez, who also happened to be a paralegal on his defense team. That and I was like, totally appropriate. I was like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing to paralegal. I'm, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to <laughs> I, fall for a criminal. I, no. no. Um, what if it was so, like a light crime? No. What if it was like, what if it was like, that's Chaos so anarchy, unethical. Right? It's, it's like, like Fight Club style. Take down the man. <laughs> that feels weird. No, thank you. Um, yeah. I was just like, okay. So just before the retrial and after the marriage, <laughs> Bolin's half-brother recanted his statement about witnessing the beatings, but then recanted the recantment. He's like, I take it back. No, just kidding. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Recant, no, take back seeds. So he claimed that Martinez, Bowen's new wife, had pressured him into recanting uh, his statement Mm -hmm. the first time. And then was like, actually, no, she told me to. At the end of everything, three new juries returned three new guilty verdicts and handed down three new death sentences. These were overturned a second time due to other legal errors uh, in the trial process. And after a 2005 retrial, the jury found Bolin guilty of second degree murder rather than first. He had been originally charged with first. Um, so because of, because it was second degree murder for Holly's murder, uh, they instead gave him a life sentence. Bolin was again sentenced to death for Collins' murder. And finally, in 2012, Bolin, at his 10th trial, had his remaining sentence for Matthew's murder reduced to life. He did attempt to get the Supreme Court to stay his execution, which failed. Uh, and Bolin was set for uh, January 7th, 2016 execution. 2016. 26. This happened in the 1980s. I just want to point that out. 2016. Like... Yo, y'all. Fox 13 Tampa Bay decided to do a pre-execution interview. Okay. With Bolin. (laughs) And I haven't haven't quite figured out if it was the day before or the day of. It's one of the two. Um, So I'm going to play a little, a small portion from that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It just seems to, I don't know, like a weird thing to do um all right let's let's take a listen so you're saying you didn't murder these women no you didn't murder natalie holly no stephanie collins no tara lynn matthews no no i didn't know i never seen them never met them i hadn't i if i i met them through photographs through crime scene photos through newspaper articles I've gotten to know him fairly well through newspaper articles and crime scene photos, police reports. So 10 juries convicted you, though? Yes. 10 juries heard the same evidence repeatedly over and over and over. Nothing changed. Evidence linking you to the murders? Yes, people's testimony and the physical evidence, what physical evidence actually linked me? There's hair and fibers, right? hair and fibers that Mike Malone prepared. Not from me. 
So I've been hearing you talk for the last 20 minutes, and you're, you're going over the case. You're going over the evidence and, and talking about it being flawed and tainted and planted. So is Florida basically killing an innocent man? Yes. For, for the murder of Stephanie Collins, Natalie Holly, and Terry Lee Matthews, and they're about to execute me for Terry Lee Matthews' murder, they execute someone who did, absolutely did not commit that murder. So you're innocent? There was another man confessed to it. So you're innocent? Absolutely innocent of the murder. I had nothing to do with it. So that's the end of the clip <laughs> that I want to play. Um, the thing that I find sort of interesting, and we'll put the, the, the whole interview is like eight and a half minutes, um, and we'll put it up. But the thing that I find interesting is, so just before his execution, somebody else came forward and confessed to the murder of Terry Matthews. And his attorneys tried to get the United States Supreme Court to stay the execution just before it happened because of this confession, which they denied. So in this clip, he's like, well, this one specifically I didn't do. Like, he really advocates for this one because this other guy confessed to it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is he literally, for each of these, was before a jury um, at least three times a piece, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. It just is a weird denial to me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he did He did hold his innocence to the end. Like, he insisted that he was, he was innocent. So, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me... Very innocent. ...to be the case. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sabolin was pronounced dead at 10 15 p.m on january 7th 2016 and that's the end of that okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we've covered so many like trucker highway killer combos that I thought that I was like, oh no, have we run out? I need to look. But then I remembered, yeah, that statistical thing that we saw from the FBI about the never-ending supply of murderers on the highway system. horrifyingly high number of highway murders? Yeah. I was like, oh, we've covered so many. And I was like, oh, wait, there's so many more. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to go, like, a little bit more ambiguous for this. And we're going to talk about the redhead murders. Okay. It'll be a a wild ride. All right. It's very funny. Um, Mine also takes place in the 80s. And also along the Kentucky-Tennessee line. So Classic. Playing the old hits today. I wonder if there's a connection between ours. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Probably. Probably. That's weird. Mm -hmm. Did we just solve crimes? We just solved all (laughs) All of the the murders. So from 1983 to 1985, multiple women were found along the highway system along the Kentucky-Tennessee line. Because of the poor law enforcement and the jurisdictional issues, the number of women ranges 
from <laughs> from six to eleven because they're not really sure what's included in this particular murder spree. Jeez, <laughs> which okay. makes you feel so good, right? That's a pretty big range. It's <laughs> a big range. Yeah. But there are speculations that this particular murder spree could date all the way back to 1978. Um, and there are actually some cases that happened all the way into 1992 that also sounded like they were connected. Makes you wonder so, if, like, these people just had a meetup somewhere. Right? They're all driving the same routes, mm-hmm. same areas. Same truck stops. Same truck stops. Uh, now, the one link that connects this case, um, besides being women who were discarded off the side of the road, is that they all had red hair or auburn-colored hair. Okay. Um, so that's why it's called the red-headed murders, in case you're wondering. So creative. <laughs> So we're going to look at some of the victims that were found and the ones that they think for sure are connected. Um, We're going to hit on two that are outliers that might also be connected. But I didn't look into the 1978 or the 1992 cases um, because there's more information out now that they could possibly be a separate murderer. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> on okay. a separate murder spree. Great. In the same area. Of course. Um, <laughs> Which is less surprising, I think. Because... There's just so many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many. So the first we're going to look at is uh, 1985. So January 1st, 1985, the bound body of a woman was found near Jellicoe, Texas, in Campbell County. Uh, they were found down an embankment off the southbound side of Interstate 75. The remains were in an advanced state of decomposition, and she was killed approximately 72 hours before. Uh, the victim was killed by strangulation, and they estimated her age to be between 18 and 25 years old. Okay. Now, March 31st, 1985, the skeletonized body of a red-haired female was found in Pleasant View, Cheatham County, Tennessee. Um, She was believed to have died between three and five months previously. They stated it was unknown cause, but they assume it was the same person because of the the hair and everything. Okay. Uh, April 1st, 1985, the body of a woman was found in a large white Admiral refrigerator in Gray Knox County, Kentucky, along Route 25. Her death was by suffocation, and the victim had been dead for a few days, was nude except for the two distinctive necklace pendants, one a heart and the other a gold-colored eagle, and then two pairs of socks. So all she had was jewelry and socks on. Um, One of the socks Mm -hmm. was white, and the other one was white with green and yellow stripes. So they put that out in the news report to see if they could identify the woman through those things, because that was all that was left on her. Gotcha. On April 3rd, 1985, the skeletonized partial remains of a young girl were discovered about 200 yards off Big Wheel Gap Road, four miles southwest of Jellicoe, Texas, in Campbell County, near a strip mine. She was believed to have been dead between one and four years, um, and her age was estimated between nine and 15. Damn. So they really started looking at, like, I feel like they saw one body and then they're like, well, let's look a little more. And it was just like one after another, after another, after another. Um, yeah. <laughs> like literally, because this is not like these time frames are not that far apart no, at all. They're just very like, close together. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, April 14th, 1985. But if you're paying attention to when they estimate how long they've been dead, it ranges from a week to years. Right. So right. that's mortifying. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just now finding these bodies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesus. April 14th, 1985, the body of a young white female was found in Greenville, Green County, Tennessee. She was determined to have been killed between three and six weeks previously, uh, a severe blunt force trauma to the head and possible stab wound. 
Uh, her body was in an advanced state of decomposition. Uh, police were able to obtain fingerprints from her, as well as a DNA and dental information. Um, she had been approximately six to eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died. Oh, no. um, and it looks like she had, had suffered from a miscarriage. Oh. Uh, she was estimated to be between 14 and 20 years old. Uh. On April 24th, 1985, 21 officials from Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Arkansas met with FBI representatives at a six-hour summit in Tennessee to determine if these murders were related. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. I wonder. <laughs> I like that. Let's fight. We found all these bodies in a, Just in wait. a line. Just wait. Just oh. wait. Their results were inconclusive. Oh, my God. The deputy director of the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation said, while there are some similarities in these cases, there are also a great number of dissimilarities. The 80s. That's the 80s in a nutshell. Oh, fuck. Now, there is a lot of speculation of who is and isn't included in officially in the redheaded murders. The highway system is so interconnected uh, that they concluded that it could be a trucker. Um, (laughs) no shit. Uh, especially since a good portion of these women were thought to have been sex workers or drug addicts who were hanging out at truck stops. Oh, God. Now, if you're not familiar with truck stop culture, um, that is called a lot lizard. Mm -hmm. Um, women who are looking to get drugs, to discreetly go somewhere, or who are sex workers often hang out at truck stops. We live close to a truck stop. I've witnessed it. Yeah? I've seen lot lizards. Oh. <laughs> so it's everywhere, even small town America. I'm surprised. I don't think I've ever seen one up there. Yep. Or I just haven't been paying attention. It happened a lot at the older truck stop that was taken down. Yeah. Across the yeah. street from the new fancy one. Yes. I'm not giving any details on to where the location is. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> no, exactly um, where you're going. Now, I had a few friends who were waitresses at truck stops in the area and we would go often and visit them and hang out with them late at night and have yeah. coffee and this smoke. It's the real diner culture. Yeah. Yeah. When you could smoke inside of a restaurant. Yep. Um, how old am I? Um, Girl, I remember that too. <laughs> and there have been plenty of instances where I was hit on and propositioned by truck drivers. Oof. I was 16 years old. Yeah. Now, I guarantee that they thought I was a teenage runaway because of the way that I dressed. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, yeah. But I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but the way in which I was asked by one gentleman in particular made me realize how, maybe a year or two later, how easy it is for someone to be abducted. Yeah. For someone to be sold into, you know, sex work, for all of these things to happen. Yeah. Um, the way that the man kind of approached me, I was with a group of people at a table and he sat across from us and was trying to like shoot the shit. And then slowly, one by one, we started to kind of get up and leave. And I was left with two women and he was making a lot of inferences about how he needs a girlfriend. Oh. Now, if you're not familiar, that is a euphemism for a sex worker yeah. um, to be taken for the night. And the fact that we were just like, ha ah, ha should have clicked in his brain that we had no idea what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah. Um, but it didn't, so he kept uh, pushing. And I was gross. just like, I, I had to say, listen, buddy, we're teenagers. Yeah. Really loudly for him to stop and leave. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> the fact that I had to point Ugh. out that we were underage was very... Troubling. Harrowing. Yes. <laughs> um, so I can understand how easy it is for someone who is in this line of work to disappear without a trace. Yeah. 
which is mortifying. Yeah. So the fact that all of these women were, I think the oldest one was early 20s. Yeah. It, it, it's not hard to infer that they were maybe teenage runaways. Mm-hmm. So, and then this is the 80s where we're still like in the, the hitchhiking culture right. is still a little bit around. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's Ugh. not great. The 80s, man. Yeah. What, what a, a time. What a time to be born. <laughs> time to be born. Um, now, there are a couple cases outside of the Tennessee, Kentucky area that also might be connected. There was a person found in February of 1983. A body of a naked white female was found along Route 250 near Littleton in Wetzel County, West Virginia. A pair of senior citizens had were reported the body, which they originally thought was a mannequin. Guys, it's never a mannequin. Oh, it's never, it's never a, a fucking mannequin. It it's a human never, body. Yes. Always. Um, the body had been placed at the area recently as the snow was on the ground, but not on the body. Police said that the tire tracks and footprints nearby indicated that she was likely transported to the site after death from another location. Their examination concluded that she died about two days previously and was not a victim of sexual assault, um, but her cause of death was undetermined. Hmm. On September 16th, 1984, the body of a woman was found along Interstate 40 near West Memphis, Arkansas. She was wearing only a sweater, and she was found to have been a resident of West Virginia based upon some of the items that they found in her bag, but there wasn't any actual identification. Okay. Um, Authorities were not able to identify and contact her family members for some time. It wasn't until June 1985 that she was identified as Lisa Nichols. Uh, Lisa worked as a sex worker and was at the Shell Lake Exit County truck stop near Shearville, Arkansas, before she had disappeared. She had gone to work on the 12th, and around midnight that night, she was seen entering a semi-truck with two men, and it was the last time she was ever seen alive. Oh, man. Now we're going to fast forward to 2018. Well, Again, so many similarities between yours and mine. Yes. Yeah. Shockingly so. Oh, wow. 2018 was a big fucking year. It was also yeah. a massive year for this case and DNA. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Everything changed when DNA yes. became a thing. And the honestly, the evolution in this is East, the genetic. I'm going to take you back. This is East Area Rapist time yeah. when they were figuring out who that was. Yeah. Not which that seemed, long ago. Which seemed like it was yesterday. Yes. But it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> the second that they unlocked the, the familial ability, DNA stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like game changer. Yes. So, moral of the story is there's going to be a, f- a fucking murderer in your family, guys. Probably. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so, DNA had come super far, um, and the police in this case were trying to decide who they should tr- test out first um, mm-hmm. and try their luck with the DNA. So, uh, it actually was prodded by someone outside of the police. Uh, investigative journalist Shane Walters started reporting about the redheaded murders. Any relation, Vicky? <laughs> <laughs> God. No. No. Um, not also not to the Walters that live in the same town as us because we get asked. Everyone asks all me all the, the time. time. Are you related to this O'Malley? I was like, no, no. my family is from New York and Ohio. Literally not from around here <laughs> yeah. at all. O'Malley's like the Smith of Ireland. Yes. Everyone's got that fucking yeah, that's name. True. Okay. The Smith of Ireland. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Mm-hmm. So uh Shane Walters was working on this and reporting on it, had a little blog spot about it. And it kind of started to roll into this sort of armchair detective thing that was happening. Okay. Um, With the help of sociology students at Elizabethton High School in Tennessee, they developed a profile of the murderer for this case, whom they concluded was a male trucker 
frequenting the I-40 corridor. They also renamed the case from the redheaded murders to the Bible Belt Strangler. Mm, I like that a lot and better. And I love that better, too. I like that a lot better. Um, because in their investigation, they also figured that there were actually women in there who weren't necessarily redheads. Oh. There were some women that they thought might need to be included because they were strawberry blonde. Gotcha. Um, so not necessarily fitting the original profile. Yeah. So they kind of broadened it a little bit by taking that red hat out and saying, actually, it's a bunch of these women that are related. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. They pushed this to the authorities um, and said that they should reexamine it because there were some things that they were missing initially. So they decided to take another look. And on September 6, 2018, the Shelby County Sheriff's Office announced that the victim found in January of 1985 had been identified through DNA and fingerprints as Tina Marie McKenney Farmer of Indiana. Okay. She was 22, 21 or 22 at the time of her death, um, and she was last seen in Indianapolis, Indiana, accompanied by a trucker said to be headed for Kentucky. Farmer had one daughter prior to disappearing in 1984, and she was reported missing by her family at the time, yet authorities in Indiana did not enter her into the national database, which was kind of a new thing that was happening. Oh, yeah. That's right. That hasn't been around forever. Yeah. I was like, why? <laughs> Duh. Yes. Uh, women who are in their late teens and early 20s tend to not be reported very soon, so God. yuck. In 2019, the DNA evidence from the victim's sweater identified convicted kidnapper Jerry Leon Johns as the man that killed Tina Marie McKenney Farmer. He had been convicted of assault and kidnapping of several women. Uh, of course. He was caught after he attempted to strangle a woman to death after kidnapping her in 1987. Oh, my God. She escaped and alerted authorities, and he was <laughs> sent to jail. There are so many similarities. How do we pick cases like that? I, I, don't, I do not understand how we do this. I this don't is amazing. Either. Guys, this is not planned. I just <laughs> we say. don't share we do what we're doing plan, with each yeah. other. We yeah. might say this is the guy's name, yeah. and that's it. That's it. <laughs> wow. So don't cover my guy. <laughs> but then it's so close, right? Yeah, that's, that's wild. Yeah. There was actually another man who was a suspect around the same time, um, and he was a 32-year-old trucker in Pennsylvania. I wasn't able to find the guy's name because he was questioned and released. Oh. <laughs> um, he was questioned after kidnapping and raping a young woman in the state of Indiana. Um, she also managed to escape, and this suspect was also dismissed um, after he was questioned by the Tennessee police. He never served time for this. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, because Indiana. Oh, my God. So, what if it was my guy? What oh if God, there's some crazy shit in, that, in his past? Yeah. Jesus. So there's like a lot of interconnectedness Weird. between all of these. Yeah. Um, on October 1st, 2018, the Knox County Sheriff's Office announced the woman found in the refrigerator had been positively identified as S.B. Regina Black Pilgrim of Western North Carolina. A familial DNA match was made between her and her grown daughter, nice. who had said her mother disappeared when she was only six weeks old. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Isn't it? You that never is, knew your oh mother, God. and then you find out who she is because of yeah. a DNA test. That's mm. fucked. Yeah. Um, November of that year, officials announced that the victim found on April 14th, 1985, was New Hampshire native Elizabeth Lamott. She was 17 years old at the time of her death. Lamott had disappeared on April 6th, 1984. She was identified, too, through familial DNA matches. Wow. Now, there are still several unidentified women, as well as we don't know who the fucking killer is. <laughs> so they have they not tested the DNA of this other guy that they... 
They've tested the DNA of the two people who were in custody previously for um, the rest of the women, yeah. but nothing has matched. They haven't really. really found very much DNA evidence on a lot of these women that are not the woman's DNA. Yeah. Yeah. So they're still working on familial DNA matches to the unidentified Damn. women. Yeah. Um, That's good. They That's at least good. want to try to identify the women, although... There hasn't been much DNA left for a male figure in these. And because of how long ago they are, and we all know how great police are at keeping records and keeping DNA. Yeah. um, It's highly unlikely that they will be able to DNA match for the murderer. That's really unfortunate. if they can at least find out who these women are, there might be a way to find out who they were last seen with, where were they last seen, what were they doing, that might key in a little bit um, to help determine... Who potentially could be involved in this, or at least see if there are connections between them more than just where they were found and how they look and how they were killed. Yeah. Um, Something a little more solid. Maybe. Yeah. You know, there might be connections between, you know, we've found cases connected between um, sex worker networks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're hoping that they can find some sort of connection between these women or at least identify them. Sure. So if you have any information, about these women in this case or um live in the area we do have people who live outside of illinois that listen to us uh contact the tennessee fbi headquarters um because they're still technically in charge of the entire bible belt strangler case um you can reach them at 615-744-4000 you can go onto their website uh report anonymously give tips all that good stuff um because we'd like to at least identify these jane does yeah well, before you go hanging out at a truck stop by yourself. Don't. Don't. <laughs> First of all, don't. First of all, don't. But maybe you should check out this podcast. As a woman who's had to stop at many truck stops by herself <laughs> yeah. traveling. In the middle of the night. Don't. <laughs> oh, man. Always carry a knife is my motto. We need some merch that has always be carrying a knife. <laughs> a, B, C, K. Mm-hmm. Always, Always carrying a knife. be carrying a knife. My name is Hunter. And I'm Haley. And we're your hosts of Murder and Such, a podcast about true crime, serial killers, and other dark subject matter. Join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales. You can now find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your podcatcher services. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. At Murder and Such. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Well, Janelle, that has been our show. That has. Uh, what do you got for us today? I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we have an event coming up. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited. Actually, I've had people say, I saw an ad that had you in it. And I was like, us? where? And they were like, Little I don't remember, us. but somewhere. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. <laughs> They're doing a great job of advertising yeah, this. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be at Parapalooza 2022. <laughs> um it is a massive true crime slash paranormal, mostly paranormal slash yes. true crime. We'll yeah. flip that around. Yeah. Uh, event that is happening. It'll on, scratch your itch, whatever oh, you're yeah. into. On July 23rd from noon to 11.30 p.m. It okay. is at the Pavilion and I always forget it's Bridgeview. Okay. <laughs> um, tickets are on sale through Eventbrite. We have links on our website. Not website, Facebook. Let me rephrase that. 
on our Facebook <laughs> and Instagram, yeah. <laughs> um, which I'm working on putting a link tree um, in our link tree too, so that you can connect it to there. Uh, so you just hit one button. Bam, nice. Event okay. tickets. Cool. That should happen soon. Um, <laughs> it is $25 for admission for the entire event. And if you want to do the additional ghost bus tour, that's another $25. There are kid friendly things. So if you do want to bring your family, um, they'll have psychic readers, tarot cards, vendors. Um, there's going to be us giving a live podcast as yes. well as Ghostly. Yeah, Ghostly will be there. Um, what else? What else? Bands. Bands. Lots of cover bands. There's a Rob cover Zombie bands. cover band, which I'm very excited yes. about. Um, the State Puffed Marshmallow Man will be there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of cool stuff yeah. for every age group, for every level of spooky. If you just want to be a little spooky to like full on freak the fuck out. We got it. Yeah. <laughs> and guys, this is what we got to do when we're still months out from October. So yes. like. Mm-hmm. It's like halfway to Halloween. Yes. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> sort of. It's a, it's a little late, but yeah. Spooky you know. summer is what we're going to call it. Spooky summer. <laughs> yes. This is the spooky summer. It's like hot mm-hmm. girl summer, but spooky. Yeah. Always. Every year is spooky girl summer. <laughs> um, spooky girl summer. So like come that. and see us. Hang out with us. Yeah. It'll be cool. um, (laughs) We also are going to have interesting local tales to tell, so. Oh, at the thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's going to be local. Yes, yeah. Super local. It'll be (laughs) really fun. Yeah. I'm I'm super looking forward to that. Um, You can find all the information for that on our social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's all we got going on so far, right? Yeah, so far. Mm -hmm. We might have some stuff to announce later in the year. Um. But for now, if you enjoyed the show, you can find more just like this at badtastepodcast.com, where you can also find links to our merch and our uh, Patreon account. I almost forgot what that was called. It's fine. (laughs) I don't know. If you enjoy the show, leave a review on like iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts at. We haven't talked about that in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a minute. Um, <laughs> otherwise, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is... Did I forget something? No, you just sounded really unsure oh. about ending the podcast. No, <laughs> I did feel... Now, now you're... And you made me think, like, did I forget something? No, we're okay. good. Mm-hmm. Let me roll it back. Our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zashevsky, The Enigma. <laughs> This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast, and I am confidently saying goodbye. It's done. <laughs> done. Women have left their bodies on the hillsides along the highway. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil, right? Some form or another. Oh my god. You just looked super unsure. You were like, are we done? (laughs) We are.